Welcome to 242, a podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church where we get curious about the things that matter to our lives as followers of King Jesus. This is episode seven. I'm talking with Leanne Miedema Brown about ecology, curiosity, and humility. We start by talking about Leanne's interest in ecology and where it comes from and asking the question, why should the church care about ecology? How should we relate to nature and the natural world? We talk about how nature is our clothes, our food, our air, and the water that we drink. We talk about loving our neighbors, including our plant and animal neighbors. We explore how the church talks about nature. We discuss the balancing of human flourishing and ecological care. Leanne gives some practical advice to our church on how to think about these things or engage. We also talk about transcendent experiences of beauty and wonder in the natural world. And we finish out by talking about uh, curiosity, humility, and the life of the mind. All right. So, Leanne, introduce yourself. Who are you? (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Leanne Miedema Brown. I am a PhD candidate studying environmental science and uh, a member of the Vineyard Buffalo Church, Buffalo Vineyard Church. Mm. Um, Been going here just over two years since I moved to Buffalo um, to be with my husband, now husband. Mm -hmm. uh, And yeah, I've... uh, Gotten to know some people, done a lot of work with the Five Lows Farm. It was mm. kind of kind of my first introduction to the Vineyard Church here. So cool. Um, and you said PhD candidate. Where yeah. and what? Or maybe you said the what, but you didn't say where. Uh yeah, the University of Guelph. Mm. Um, and in environmental science. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have a focus on on landscape ecology and plant functional ecology. All right. So we'll jump right in because I yeah. think that's kind of what we wanted to talk about. What is that? um so ecology is i I think that's probably a good place to start too but but then but then also more specifically you said landscape ecology and plant functional ecology plant functional ecology yes Yes. so unpack some of that for us all right for people who have no idea what any of those words mean yeah so ecology um it uh, a little linguistic background for you is derived from the word oikos, meaning mm-hmm. household. Mm-hmm. So if you translate it, it's kind of like the study of the household. But I like to think about it as it's the study of connections. So an official definition is the entire science of the relations of organisms to the surrounding exterior world. That's either organism to organism or organism to like an inorganic natural okay. surroundings yeah so it's looking at relationships and those connections yeah um yeah and so landscape ecology is the ecology of the landscape you're looking at how things on a landscape scale are connecting to each other and that could be how like forest fragments are impacting the plants in the forest okay or how agricultural lands in that mosaic landscape are influencing forest ecosystems okay and plant functional ecology is looking at plants and specifically plant functions. So okay. The what way is a plant function? Yeah. Plant functions are the, the way that plants either chemically or physically will interact with their surroundings. Mm. So a functional trait would be something like leaf area. 
right. Or 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 root length. Okay. Those are things that differ between like individuals of the same species and also between species that are going to influence the role that the plant plays within that ecosystem. Okay. And how it influences the soil, other plants around it, other animals that would feed on it, those kind of things. Cool. All right. So you clearly, like, just as I'm listening to you talk and watching you, you're like excited about things like root length and leaf <laughs> size. All right. Why? Um, why am I excited about it? Wow. Um, or that's th- kind of, it's, there's two questions. There's why, why does it matter? So if I said none of that stuff matters, you're going to get mad and then you're going to tell <laughs> me why. Right. So there's that yeah. question, but then there's also like, how did you get interested in it too? So I don't know which one you were going to start with, but I want to hear the answer to both. Okay. Um, how did I get interested in it? Um, I think I've always loved learning about things. Just I've been a curious person. Mm-hmm. I think probably one of the first words I ever learned was why, <laughs> much to my parents' chagrin. I've never yeah. really stopped asking that question. Um, and so over the years, uh, you know, spending a lot of time outside, spending a lot of time in the garden, I was really interested in biology. And then I got to undergrad and realized there was actually this thing called ecology that looked not just at specific organisms, but how they interacted, their relationships, as well as like the chemistry involved in like how they worked. And so it was kind of like, oh, there's this bigger step, this more complicated, but like beautiful thing that you can study to understand the world around you. Okay. So I think that's part of why I've, really excited about it um yeah. that is like kind of yeah both and how i came into it and who, what i'm interested who, who, who had you hanging out in a garden when you were a kid um my mom and my grandparents hmm. um my yeah yeah my um grandparents on my mother's side had a farm in pennsylvania okay what it was kind more of, a farm? of a ho- more of a hobby farm really yeah. but uh our background is like farmers from holland so couldn't really let go of that and so I spent a lot of time in the garden outside they had a forest to go on tractor rides and just wander around and look at things and you know get completely covered in pine sap as you're climbing the trees and stuff like that so I think just being outside and learning to love that was a huge part of that okay and so the second or well the first question why does this matter like if I told you I don't care about roots and leaves mm-hmm. like convince me why it matters yeah okay um so I think one thing, like if I could get everyone to understand this, okay, all right. <laughs> it would be great. Just that. The evangelist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're part of an ecosystem, whether we recognize it or not. I think it's really easy in a city to forget that. Mm-hmm. But the water that we're drinking is coming from somewhere and the water we're using is going somewhere. The air we breathe is coming from somewhere again it's part of an ecosystem and so even something like really broad and basic like air and water are we're interacting with that and it's really it like i said it's easy to forget that in a city but it's very integral to the way that we live we're creatures in an ecosystem even though we like to pretend that we're not um And so I think that's one reason you should care. I'm not saying that everyone should become (laughs) an environmental scientist like me. A plant functional ecologist? No, please don't do that. (laughs) If you don't love it, don't do it. (laughs) Um, But that's part of why you should care and maybe be slightly curious about it. And um, so actually part of 
what I'm studying are, um, they're called ecosystem services. And those are the benefits that society and individual humans receive from ecosystems. And so it's, it's a very valuistic, very human-centered term, but I think it is very helpful when talking to people about why they should care about ecology yeah. is, is using that term of like, there are things that we get like clean air, water, the cultural value and the, the inspiration of being able to go for a walk in the park yeah. um, and food that yeah. we get is coming from soils that have to function well. So, yeah. yeah. No, that that's cool. So one of the things that um, I'm trying to remember where I first came across this, uh, I don't know, lens or interpretation. I, I learned it from somebody else. I just can't remember where, but l- looking at, um, the story of Genesis and the creation um, account in the first few chapters and how what you see is, um, you know, God makes everything God, God puts, God makes human beings and puts them on the earth. But then there's these four, four sets of relationships Mm -hmm. that exist there. There's, there's human relationships to God. There's human relationship to each other. There's human relationship to self and then there's also human relationship to the, the natural world. And then when sin happens, all four of those relationships actually get broken. Like you actually see something happen in the story where you're like, oh, wow, like they're hiding from God. They're ashamed of themselves. The ground itself is cursed. They're fighting with each other, right? And then also throughout the whole story of scripture, there's promises from God to actually restore each of those four relationships, right? And And even the work that Jesus does on the cross, there's ways that scripture talk about each of those four relationships being restored. And in the, the pictures of the promised future, like each of those four relationships is, is healed. And so I've thought about that a lot. And then I thought, well, what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with the natural world? And my first response was like, well, I don't know. Like I kind of like guard, you know, like going, going and checking out like green stuff or like the mountains or whatever, you know, it's like, but then it clicked like exactly what you're saying. It's like, Oh, like, where does my food come from and where do my clothes come from and where does my house come from? And that, that also is so like our relationship to nature, quote unquote, is not just about those experiences that we have when we're in like pristine, you know, quote unquote, pristine natural environments. Mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, like when I get ticked off that there's house centipedes in my house or when I'm like upset that I, you know, whatever the food or, you know, like all of those kinds of things are, actually a part of my relationship with nature. So very much so. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, my, my physical health as it connects to the food that I eat and all of that, that's all a part of our, our, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. So that's, and, and yeah, the, the healthy relationship, it's, it's very complicated. And I think like, as soon as you dive into ecology, because it's the study of relationships, it becomes incredibly complicated. Mm. And so you can't really shy away from admitting you don't know something, or actually I have to go learn more, or I wonder how that interacts with something. Because um, you're not just looking at like where your food comes from, you're looking at like this, this rippling out of like, well, how does the number of trees in this neighborhood affect housing prices? You're mm. looking at like, how does the, the water and its quality and the air quality affect how people are able to live well and how is the way that people are living in an area affecting the way that the plants, the animals, the air is able to like function and live well and like in a healthy way. So it, it it really does become not just a question of like, am I living well, but like, am I living in a, like a way that's improving like justice almost. Mm. 
Sure. Actually, not not almost, definitely. So <clears throat> this is a good intro so mm. far to our conversation. There's like a branching, you know, we could go a lot of directions from yeah. here. Well, so maybe, yeah, I sent you a list of questions. Are, are there, is there, is there a question or it doesn't even have to be one of those questions. Is there like, where, where do we take the conversation from here from, from your perspective? So many, so many different ways. I don't know. Um, I think, yeah, the, the one thing that, as I was considering some of your questions, like why should it matter to the church mm-hmm. is to really like hone in on relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, like I said, more than anything, ecology is the study of relationships. And so I got really excited just considering how that reflects on on my understanding of theology and and just realizing you kind of went back to Genesis already, but like before the world existed, God was already in relationship yeah. with God. Yeah. And so like relationship is the first thing we encounter mm. in the Bible. And it's the first thing that existed. And so this should matter to the church just because it's like, it's a relationship. Yeah. It's looking at like any kind of relationship that we can have and kind of considering how that can be good or bad or made better or understood well. Yeah. So that was something that I got really, really excited thinking about. And like, I think that's, that also kind of reflects on why I get so excited about ecology is because I don't think it is limited to the science. It helps me understand the world. Yeah. For sure. So, well, so how, how have you seen the church and by the church, you know, that could be kind of like the institutions of the church, but also just the people, like, what are, what are some of the things that you've seen about the way the church has, I'll, I'll start with this. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see the church engaging with a relationship with the natural world? in both positive or negative ways. Um, and I mean, you could just start with, you know, maybe it's even your own experiences of the churches you've been a part of, or, you know, you don't have, you don't have to give me an account of like fifth century African church. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like the, just the church that you've seen and the church that you see in our world today, like what are, you know, Canadian and American church, like what, what do you see in the way that the church from your perspective, how does the church engage with the natural world again in positive and negative ways? Yeah. Um, I think I've seen um, a lot of indifference, actually. I think like more than negativity, I he- I hear a lot of like, oh, that that's nice that you're studying that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, roots. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that that's, I mean, unfortunate, but it's mm. not like, oh, I think that the world is terrible and we should just ignore it. Although, I in in terms of actually one of the questions you sent, like, what are my thoughts on the word dominion? Mm-hmm. And I think that that. <laughs> the most frustrated I ever get is when people pull out that word and they're like, well, we shouldn't, it doesn't really matter what impacts we're having because we have dominion over the world. And so what we do is the most important thing. Mm. And that just, my head explodes every time. So I'm going to try and calmly respond. I thought you would have an emotional response to that word. Very, yeah, very much so. And um, I don't often respond as calmly as I should, but I really do think that that is problematic for many reasons, one of which is the example that we have of dominion, Mm. of God's dominion that Mm. we should be working towards as best as we are, like at all possible, is not one of exploitation. 
it's not one of extractivism. It's not one of, well, as long as God's happy and is doing fine, then it doesn't really matter what happens to his people. He's getting down on our level, literally, and trying to understand us, trying to help us, trying to make sure that we're able to live the best lives that we can. And so if that's our example of dominion, we shouldn't be using it as a throwaway term of like, yeah, but it's fine because we have dominion over the earth. It's, It's actually like a huge responsibility and should be very compelling to us to take that term. I was also doing my, uh, my student thing where as soon as I have a question about something, (laughs) I like go to the root of the word and I'm like, what is the definition of this? And I actually found out, I don't know, you probably, you might know more about this than I do, but the Hebrew word dominion used Mm -hmm. in Genesis is Yuridu. I, I, I don't pronounce things correctly. Okay. This is, this is the, the trick to pronouncing words in the original languages is you just use, you speak with confidence and everybody thinks you know what you're talking okay. about. Okay. Okay. Yuridu. Try, try it again. Okay. It's Yuridu, <laughs> which is often translated to dominion, but the way that Hebrew writing is, it could have two different roots. And it wasn't until like a couple hundred years BC that that indicator was included. And the two roots it could have are um, Rada and Yarad. And Rada is dominion, to subdue or to rule over. Mm-hmm. And the other one is Yarad, which is to come down or lower oneself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the fact that it could have two roots in itself, and it's like reminding us of those two yeah. ways that we relate to the world is incredible. And I think that is very compelling to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What, so, yeah. So, so talk a little more though about mm-hmm. the, the church's relationship to the natural world. What I heard you say is indifference. Yeah. And um, like maybe talk about what that looks like. Like how, how would you, so, I mean, there could just be like a lack of intellectual curiosity, no real thought about it. So that's probably some of that. Definitely. Um. Yeah, that's disappointing. (laughs) Look at what I made. Not really interested in that. Thanks, God. Thanks, but no thanks. Um, So that there's that. But then also, how does that, what does that look like practically when you see, yeah, it's just not really, I mean, is it more than what I said, like a lack of curiosity and thought or like, yeah, how do you see that kind of indifference towards the natural world from the church? Yeah. Um, so uh, t- to clarify, there are some like really cool programs that I've seen happening at churches. Okay. Like back in Hamilton, there was like, they had a, a couple after church like meetings about sustainability and climate change and how does the church respond? So it's not that indifference is across the board. Right. But I think. It's a big church. It's a big church. Yeah. yeah. And and that's not the norm as I hope that it will be someday. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think, I think it is a lack of of intellectual curiosity it's it's a lack of of thinking about kind of those points that i made earlier of like how are we part of an ecosystem and like how do we make sure that we're doing that as best as possible the church talks a lot about being a neighbor and i Mm. think a lot of churches will focus on how do you interact with the the neighbors the people maybe on your block maybe who are like you maybe in, in like a city or something um and i think the that can be extended to how are you a member of an ecosystem and and how do you do that in the best way possible and it's hard it's really hard it's very complicated yeah um and i don't i don't do a great job i i try um and so yeah what yeah what does that look like for you to try 
Um, to be a good neighbor to the plants and animals. Yeah, I think um, learning about them <laughs> is is a huge part, yeah. and and not just learning about like the names of individual individual plants. I think it's learning about seasonality. It's um, trying to to eat seasonally, trying to appreciate things that are local and appreciate things that aren't, but not necessarily feel entitled to them. Um, I think uh, one thing I really committed to this last year is to not buy any new clothes. Mm. And I'm still buying clothes that are new to me but not buying any clothes that are new from a store, but instead to find thrifted things or make them myself. So Um, unpack that. Why? And how, so why that, how did you come to that decision and how is that connected to, for you, this idea of being a good neighbor to, or being a good steward or whatever, however, whatever language you want to use, but relating well to the world that God has made. Yeah. I think, um, it's also using the example of new clothes. Um, uh, it's related to how many resources that we can use versus should use okay. and how many are sustainable. And I think clothes is just one thing that take up a lot of resources. And we have this idea that you can use them and then get rid of them. And you can, but there's an incredible amount of work and energy that goes into making them. There's a lot of water there's a lot of processing and energy. There's a lot of chemicals that are sometimes used depending on, on what textile is being made. And so I, I like clothes. I like wearing cool things, yeah. but realizing that's something I can limit myself. I don't have to have unlimited options. I can look at what resources are reasonable for me to use and limit myself in that. So I think that's partially being a good neighbor is like recognizing this one thing that like seems so simple to me actually has like so many ripple effects out into the world, not just here locally, but like globally. And so what are some steps that I can take to limit that impact, the negative impacts of that? Um, and yeah, so I think. No, that's cool. So, I mean, I, I've, I know plenty of people who as a, as kind of a um, manifestation of their faith uh, or the, their commitment to, to, to living out kingdom values are, would do similar kinds of things. You know, I mean, like even in our house, we, we buy some new clothes, but for the most part, we buy secondhand clothes. That's mm-hmm. like most of our clothing comes that way. And it's always been that way. But for us, it has been primarily about probably equal parts of value for simplicity and a, a value for um, just like kind of basic economic necessity, but mm-hmm. like stewardship, you know? Yeah like financial stewardship. I know that that's a word that gets used to talk about finances when originally it was, <laughs> it was mm-hmm. about plants and animals. Um, but yeah, so that's interesting, you know, to see how, so as you were talking, I was thinking, Oh yeah, like a lot of people are doing it for these other reasons, but really like when you start thinking about our relationship to the natural world, the, like those three things are actually in like, they're, they're, they're like, they're woven together. So a value for simplicity, a value for, you know, wise use of resources just from the perspective of not being wasteful and also a valuing of the world that God has made and, you know, not being intentionally destructive beyond, you know, yeah, like, like living in, in harmonious relationship with it. Those really are oftentimes the same like the same issue. Yeah. Yeah. They're woven so. together. Which is really encouraging to me because I think sometimes 
it can be overwhelming. Like how do, but how do I like do these things that are good for me and also things that are good for other people and that like promote social justice, but also promote environmental justice. And then you start to realize that they actually are very interconnected. It's all the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My, my advisor likes to say everything is climate change. And I, Mm. I don't think she's necessarily wrong. Like everything is for the environment. And like, I think it it can be to like jump off the deep end, but like they, they are connected and it isn't something you like, choose one thing they like it can affect so many other things so loving god and loving neighbor and loving self and loving the world that god has made they don't have to be separate we don't have to pick no we could do all of them absolutely Mm. yeah all right i guess (laughs) (laughs) and i think you don't have to do them all perfectly or at least you Mm. can't start off with this idea that you can do everything perfectly I think that's where you lose most people is you're like, well, you have to be an environmentalist. So you have to you know, throw out all of your plastic and never buy new clothes again and never shower. Like, no, you like yeah. need to start to learn how to do that and be encouraged by a community that's trying to take the next step to do that. So teenage boys are the best environmentalists. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> they never shower. Ever. <laughs> uh, so what I, I want to come back to just like the church's relationship to to the natural world, but also like to the conversation or the, the, the process of thinking about the, our relationship to nature. Yeah. What are, so in the church and in scripture, um, from your perspective, what are some of the most helpful ideas that you've heard or learned from the church or from scripture? And then what are some of like the most unhelpful or destructive <laughs> ideas that you've heard? So you already talked about the just kind of like, eh, who cares? Um, but also you pointed specifically at some, some of the church's conceptions of that idea of dominion, um, but also some other ways of thinking about that too. But so like, talk more about that. What are some things that you've heard as, as somebody who is an expert in ecology, but also a follower of Christ? So you're somebody who's integrating those things. You know, what are things that the church has given you? Like, I don't know, intellectual tools where like, man, that was super helpful in terms of thinking about my relationship to nature. And then what are some of the things where you're like, man, can you guys stop it? Stop thinking about it this way? Um, well, I think humility is one. It's a mm. huge one that um, it, like, is a helpful tool you're taught in the church, but also applies especially to learning, is realizing that you don't have all of the answers and you should ask for help or ask questions and be curious. Yeah. And um, I think that's something that, that is like a huge overlap that I've discovered between both the church and ecology and the realm of science and studies Yeah, is, is that humility and, and recognizing that there's a lot of value and information and like interest to be learned from other perspectives, other disciplines, other people, other experiences. Yeah, no. So we've already used the word curiosity a couple of times. So, I mean, but, I don't know that I've ever connected those two ideas in my head, but they are like, Mm -hmm. if you're, I think people who are curious, there is a natural like humility in that, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's fascinating. Can you tell me more? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I think that's definitely a tool. Um, And I think reversing it, I think that something from my studies that has really helped my, my faith and, and interactions with, theology in like connection to God is um, like study and, okay. and, and like, 
I guess it's a, it's another reflection of curiosity, but just like being willing to pursue an idea or yeah. dig deeper to understand something. And, and, and it like, you know, I was looking up the, the right. Hebrew translation in, in uh, scripture and being curious about the traditions behind something and to dig deeper yeah. and like read other writings about something or ask questions to people. And I think sometimes there's a fear around that. Like I can't question the Bible or I can't question God, but I found every time that I have, I've actually like had like, like an epiphany or like realized something that's really helped my faith or like something like an idea or a translation or just like, yeah, a discovery that is never let it's never let me down. And so I, I don't think there should be a fear in that, that curiosity or the asking, or I don't know if there's a better word for that. Yeah. That's cool. Anything else? Yeah. Like, again, po- like pos- positive. I mean, even so the, um, that idea of dominion, you, you've articulated like a strong negative way that that could be thought of. But I also know for me, and I think, I think I would hear, I think I've heard you say this before that, the, so the way that I would understand the the role of human beings that, you know, the, the, the stated vocation that God has given to us first and foremost is really as like caretakers or stewards of creation, mm-hmm. right? That that's, but, and that that's actually what that, like that I, that, that could all be summed up with the word dominion, which mm-hmm. is not like the, <laughs> not, it's the, not the, the bad connotation version. we tend it's to have. It's the good version, right? Of like, no, 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 no. Like be responsible for this place. Here's the, you know, here are the keys be responsible. Yeah. Um, and that, that to me has, as I've come to see that in scripture, um, it's like, oh wow. Okay. So that's, that's, that's heavy and that's joyful. I don't know. Like it's both of the, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, there's responsibility, but also it's kind of like, ah, oh, but this is really cool. Like, and, and has changed the nature of the way in subtle and in more, more than what's the opposite of subtle. Very obvious. Yes. <laughs> in subtle and in very obvious ways. Um, change the way that I think about my relationship to nature. Mm. Right. So anyway, so like, are there things like that where you're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a super helpful, you know, I don't know way like a theological concept or something I've read in scripture or something that I've heard this, the church teach where it's like, Oh yeah, this, this helps me understand my work as an ecologist or, um, yeah, I think that, that understanding of, of a responsibility, mm. um, to t- take care of the world, to understand it so that you can live better in it, to help it, um, to steward well. Um, I think one thing I, I do hear from environmentalists sometimes is like, well, people should just step back and they're just okay. a scourge upon the earth and it's terrible. <laughs> yes. And like people have done terrible things, but this idea of of society and nature as separate is very unhelpful and I don't think real, realistic, true. I haven't really seen evidence of that. I think mm. the the issue arrives when we mistreat the world around us when we take advantage of it and have that concept of the unhelpful concept of dominion where you can do whatever you want as long as you get what you want from it. And so I think that was really helpful and has been very helpful and still is helpful as a reminder of like, no, like we're not different. This is just like the way that we're interacting, the connection and the relationship that we have 
often created is what's unhelpful, not the fact that we have a relationship to yeah. the world. So yeah, that, that is interesting. Cause I, I mean, it's been a long time since I've really hung out in environmental circles personally. Um, but I, I don't, I think I told you this. I took a couple of kind of, I took an environmental politics class and then an ecology class in, in college. Um, and definitely encountered some of those ideas, you know, the like, boy, the world would be a better place if human beings would just kill themselves, you know, like that kind of yeah. environmentalist mm-hmm. e- ethic. And it's like, Oh, that's, that's a little scary. Um, but what I, what I just heard you articulate is the problem is not that human beings have authority over creation or have a relationship with creation. The problem is when human beings do that in destructive ways instead of in, in healthy ways. But that there is, like we do have a responsibility to the created world. Yeah, absolutely. We have a responsibility. We have a relationship. It's not fundamentally a, a bad thing. It's just flawed. Yeah. It's fundamentally flawed. Broken and by sin. Yeah. And, and you can like see evidence of what it could be like, um, my, my research is in Southwestern Ontario and we kind of have this idea of like, it was a wilderness. It was this beautiful untouched forest. And then people came and destroyed it, but like people were living there and they had a really healthy relationship with the land. They like understood how to farm, how to set like helpful fires to clear out brush, how to hunt in a sustainable way. Mm. And then the people who came and are like now really the ones in charge of that, like the, who have the control and the power to make the decisions about how the landscape is used right. are people who don't understand that and who haven't developed that relationship well. Yep. And so I think that that is the problem, not the fact that people are living in a landscape. Yep. I okay. Think, yeah. Cool. Well, so, so what are some of the, the ideas or concepts that you've heard in the church where you're like, all right, just stop doing that. Get rid of that. Um, uh, so if you could like ban some things just from our church, you're like, yeah. you're not allowed to say this or think this. If you are a part of the Buffalo Vineyard, oh, what would you get rid of? Um, that the planet is just going to be destroyed. So why should we care? Hmm. That's so unhelpful. And I, I don't think that's necessarily my, my understanding is. Uh, I'm still questioning it. I, I'm still not like, I know exactly what's going to happen in Revelation in the end times, but I, I really don't think that like the planet's going to explode and then there's like a new planet that's going to blip into existence and like all the trees are going to be back and it's going to be perfect. And uh, like uh, that same concept when applied to people would be, well, why would we bother right. like evangelizing? Why would we bother befriending our neighbors and taking care of them they're just gonna die anyway and then they'll be resurrected and it'll be fine like mm-hmm. that that isn't helpful that isn't helpful environmentally and it's not helpful theologically yeah. so i think that's something that i i just don't, i don't i actually don't understand why people think that way I, maybe it's because it's more helpful because like, like to them, like it's scary to think about like, how do we, how do we live better? There's this like crisis happening that we're already seeing the effects of. So you're saying that we would choose to think certain things because it makes our lives, um, easier. It makes, it makes the way Mm. that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) Oh boy. I don't want to take responsibility for that. So I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. All right. Yeah. You guys heard it here, folks. <laughs> so just stop it. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what else? Um, 
the that idea of dominion it doesn't really matter and and okay going past that too that god has dominion so we shouldn't be afraid and we shouldn't have to worry about what's going to happen to the environment to the planet because god's in control and it's all fine Mm. like again yes but right we're god's church we're we're the ones who are supposed to be working for a a shalom like the right way of things a peace and an understanding and like being that responsible church in the world to make that happen. We can't just say God's in control and then step away. That's you wouldn't, I I haven't seen people ever applying that concept to anything else that the church is interested in. So I don't understand why they, they apply it to the natural world, to the environment. All right. I'm going to push back on this a little bit. Yeah. I, I am I am playing devil's advocate because I don't I don't exactly agree with this, but I I can understand why somebody might think this way, and there is something to 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 talk about here, right? So clearly, we have a re- relationship and a responsibility to have a healthy relationship to the natural world. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. I think it's in scripture. I've taught that, so I believe it. Having said that, here's the question. Shouldn't good Christians prioritize loving their human neighbors over loving their animal and plant neighbors? I don't think there necessarily <laughs> has to be a difference. Okay, so unpack that. Like, like defend yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think I touched on this before, but I do think that social justice and environmental justice are inherently entwined. I think that when you make sure that there is... A healthy environment when there's clean water and clean air people are able to live better yeah. and the things like like climate refugees mm-hmm. and people who are suffering from famine and those are those are ways to care for your human neighbors as well as your plant and animal neighbors they're not disconnected and i also think that um the like those interactions and the number of people in the world who have resources and time and intelligence and like technology and are able to work towards the betterment of the world doesn't necessitate that we choose one. We can do both. There can be some people who are focusing on healing the environment and healing our relationship to the environment and they can help and work towards social justice at the same time while it's not their main focus. So I, I do agree with the, so the two big ideas that I just heard you say is that they're not mutually exclusive, right? We can actually, um, we can have a healthy relationship to the natural world and also a healthy relationship to other human beings. So we could do both. And then the second idea I heard you say is that you know, God does call different people to different things. And yeah. so some aspects of the church could actually be devoted to one and some to the other. So I, I think those are great answers. I would still though say that, and, and this is, this is more my understanding as, um, you know, just kind of like, I'm not an expert on climate change or the intersection of climate change with economic policy or like, that's not an area that I'm an expert, but I do pay attention. And to the degree that I understand it correctly it does seem like there are some trade-offs that um, that it's not as simple as well. We'll just do both. That there are, you know. So, for example, it's my understanding that um, you know the vast majority of uh, you know economically developed countries 
are actually the ones that are driving a lot of the ecological policies around protecting the environment. And that that is um, something that, you know, the developing countries really like for them in particular, you know, you like talk about India or even China, although that's, that's becoming less of an issue or they're starting to talk about like China is starting to engage in some of those conversations about environmental ethics. Um, but that like a country like India, it's like, well, okay. So if they actually start to enact some of the, the, um, the policies that we, we are trying to enact in our country or have enacted or are talking, you know, that you would encourage us to enact, if India does that, people die, right? Like they, like literally people starve to death. And so it does seem, at least that's my understanding of it, is that there are places on the earth where there are people who would actually pay with their lives for slowing down economic advance that is going to require, at least in the short term, some like real damage to the environment. So I, you, you can push back on that idea because I'm not an expert, but that's my understanding of what is going on. So you, you, can, you can respond to my assertion that that's true. And then if you agree, you could respond to then like, how do we navigate that? Because at least to some degree, it seems like there's a balance. Anyway, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert on economic policy either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that your assertion that if we do this, people will die is true the other way. If we don't make these changes, if we don't start trying to change the way that we are extracting resources, the way that we are doing uh, like, like the way that we're living that people are, they're already dying. Like that's, that's my understanding. So So talk more about that. Cause I like, what, what do you mean by that? Who, who and where from, so what I heard you say is people could be dying because we're slowing down economic development for environmental reasons, but then also people are dying because we're not caring for the environment and people rely on the environment for life and health. That's kind of what I heard you say. Is that? Yeah. yeah. So I think, um, wow. I like, I'm not a climate scientist. These are not the things that I focus on. This is like my understanding and the readings that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, speaking as a Guelph expert on climate right. uh, science, just to make that clarification. But my understanding is that um, a lot of the the systems that we rely upon, the the regularity of seasons, the regularity mm. of climate, the right. um, currents in the ocean that we rely upon for agriculture, for example, are failing us. They're, they're shifting. They're changing in ways that are unpredictable. Yeah. And so we are having famines. We are having heat waves that are killing people. We are having changes in um, air quality that are uh, like affecting people's health. Mm-hmm. And we are, we're already seeing shifts in permafrost that um, could result in like communities having to leave where they've been living and we're seeing changes in uh, ocean levels that again will affect the way that people where they can live the way that they're farming those kind of things right so those those changes are happening already yep and so um to go back to your original point of like there will be trade-offs the the trade-offs can be dangerous i also think that (laughs) it's so complicated and so when you look at climate projections, when you look at estimations of those things, there are are so many variables that you're putting into, (laughs) into this equation. Right. Because the variables are everything. 
Yes. Or, or at least everything on earth. Yeah, yeah. Everything on earth that we can think of and we're probably missing some things. Right. And so there, there is trade-offs and I don't think it necessarily has to be like we're switching. I'm, I'm trying to think of how to describe what I'm doing with my hands right now. Like you have like human well-being way up here and the environmental well-being down here and you actually right. switch their places. I think there's a space for them both to be somewhere in the middle. And I, I don't know what that looks like in every iteration of economics and agro, like economics and agroforestry and right. like sea change and all of those things. But I, I don't think, I, I don't think that, that it's an option to really say, well, we can't do anything. Um, no, that's fair. That. Yeah. And well, so, so it seems like at least between our, our relative, lack of expertise, but, but paying attention to the issue that we would both say that there's at least some degree of trade-off or balance that's required between, you know, like this kind of isolated, solely concerned for the environment minus humans Mm -hmm. on one side balanced with like, who cares about the environment, let it burn, but we care about humans a lot that like, obviously neither one of those is appropriate. There's got to be some sort of a balance because if we're going to love humans well, we're going to care for the environment that they live in. And if we're only going to care about the environment, we're still going to have to pay attention to the human beings because like yeah, they affect yeah. the environment. So, Absolutely. so there's a balance, there's a trade-off at least at some degree. So, yeah. so what would you say though to Christians who would say something like, well, we'll, we'll care for the environment only to the degree that we have to, so that we can take care of our neighbors. Like why, why shouldn't, you know, why, why shouldn't I care for people more than I care for the world that they live in? Yeah. Um, I'm going to half answer this question by, by pointing to, um, this theory, um, that it'll kind of answer your question and you can ask me follow-ups if I'm not quite getting at it. Um, but there is an economic theory called donut economics. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No, I haven't. Uh, Kate Rawworth. Okay. All right. No, I was gonna say, it sounds like, uh, what's that Freakonomics guy? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Oh, what the heck's his name? Steven something or other. I do like that term though. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, keep (laughs) Um, going. So donut, donut, donut economics. So the, so she did a lot of work looking at, um, everything in the world and, and her background I believe is in economics. So that was kind of the lens that she was looking through, but realizing that a lot of economic theories are not taking into account the resources that the world has to offer, the effects of the way that we're extracting these resources and things like human well-being that should be taken into account. And so she developed this donut framework, which at the baseline, we have things for human well-being, like clean water, like enough food, like a high enough literacy rate, and... um just things that that the UN generally considers to make for a good and healthy society with a high level of well-being. And then at the peak, at the top, so we're kind of making a sandwich right now, um, <laughs> is things uh, that are referred to as planetary boundaries. So these are limits to the planetary systems that we can't shift past without making permanent, like, ununderstandable changes to those systems that I was referring to before that like climate and seasons and ocean currents that we rely upon for the like stability of the planet as it is right now. Yeah. So those are things like land system change, like 
the ozone layer in, in the atmosphere, um, like carbon in the atmosphere. Yeah. So those, those things. Right. Um, and that there is a safe operating space between those two. And so she shifted it into this donut. So there's clarify this, what the two are. So there's the, the foundation is human well-being. Yep. And then the top, the limit that we can't push past are planetary boundaries. Gotcha. And then you create a donut. It's the sweet space Mm -hmm. between those two where you're operating economically to provide for those social foundations, the resources that like every society needs to live well. Yep. But you're not pushing the planet past the resources that it can give yeah. Beyond what, what it can give. No, I think safely. that's, that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, as you're talking, what I was, what I was thinking of is the example of Haiti where, you know, people are cold or they need fuel. So let's cut down all the trees. And obviously there were a lot of other pressures on why that actually ended up happening. It wasn't mm-hmm. just, it wasn't just a factor of stupidity or something like that. There were, there were more reasons than that, but that like, that's what the, like that's on a, on, well, it's only half of an Island, but like yeah. on an Island level, that's kind of like the boundary of the Island. Yeah, Once you cut down all the trees, things. there's no more trees. Yeah. And it, it's hard. It's, right. it's complicated. We did like this <laughs> horrible model looking at how they all interacted on a planetary scale. We use like a bunch of countries and, and inputted variables for them and are looking at how they're interacting with each other. And it it is really difficult and it's something that like theoretically is a really good idea, but country by country and then on a planetary scale, it's difficult to know, like, how do you make sure that you're not pushing past that planetary boundary in this specific country and then how it's affecting the world? So it's not an easy thing to do, but I think that it is a framework that more people should know about and should be thinking about how how to apply in specific countries, even in specific cities. Yeah. No, that, that answer works for me. Okay. There, so yeah. there's, um, uh, I, I kind of like Elon Musk. I don't know what you think about him. But I don't he, really think about him. Uh, he makes me laugh. Um, and I want to go to Mars someday. Oh boy. So he's my best hope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why did I bring him up? There was a reason. Oh yeah. He was, so he was talking about, um, climate change and, um, like, I think he, I don't remember the whole context, but there was, there was kind of like this, this, uh, conversation that he was in where he was acknowledging that there is some, there's room for debate around like what the exact, um, like what all of the factors are that are going into climate change and how much human beings are actually a part of the cause. And there's also some debate about what the actual results of climate change might be and how catastrophic they may or may not be. And he was like, yeah, I acknowledge all of that but I still think we shouldn't run the experiment. That was like his response. Like, <laughs> wow. Fair, yeah, like, yeah. Let's not take all of the carbon out of the earth and stick it in the air. Like, let's just not do that. I was like, all right, that's fair. Like that'll work. Yeah. So it's anyway. funny when, when you were saying that, I think like my first response is like, maybe there's room for debate, but like we need to be debating it. Yeah. You can't just say this isn't something I want to talk about. Like we should be having these conversations on a daily basis with everybody yeah. about like, what, what do you think about this? Why? Like you don't know. That's okay. Like go, research it, read a paper and come back. And I want to talk to you more about this. Yeah. And yeah, I think that, that's well, so something. that's, a, that's a good question to ask then right there. So that's something that you would say. And I think when you say, I think when you use the word you, you were probably talking about the church, like Christians, you should do this. Maybe, maybe you're talking about human beings in general. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Humans <laughs> which in includes general, the church, <laughs> which includes us Christians. Yes. Um, 
but so what, so, so what you said is, yeah, engage in debate around environmental concerns. Right. And that's to a certain degree, that would probably be about like individual ethical action, but also policy debates. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some other things that you would point at when, and if you were going to speak, I mean, even just specifically to our church and say, do this, like here's, here is our resident ecologist advice on how to be (laughs) wise stewards of the earth and what as, as followers of Christ and members of the Buffalo Vineyard Church, we should be not buying clothes new or I don't know, you know, like what are the kinds of things that you would point at? And they, they could be big, broad scale policy kinds of things that you think we should all care about or, you know, like don't eat this out of season or whatever it is. Um, I think it's, it's so hard to make broad sweeping claims like that. I do think we need to be voting for environmental policies that are like going to make sweeping changes. But I, beyond and I do think we should be eating vegetables in season especially tomatoes because like tomatoes are so good in season why are you trying to eat them in February they're not the same Mm. but beyond anything else I would really encourage curiosity and humility (laughs) and 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 asking questions if you don't know or you think that you do know I think I know a lot of things and there's like every day that I realize I don't Mm. and there's something that I don't know And there's something that I only have a piece of information on. And so I think that this church can, Mm. can work on having those conversations and, you know, I'm, I'm happy if people have specific questions that they want me to provide resources on or to take the time to do some research and get back with a summary for people. I love doing that. (laughs) And so I'd be happy to, but also I'd be very happy to, be part of those conversations and to help encourage that because that is how people start to understand what works for them, start to learn more about the world around them and, and start to understand how to have good relationships with other people and the environment is not necessarily through, Oh, I'm going to adopt that one thing that Leanne said on the podcast I should do, but to, to really get curious and to take just a little bit of time maybe once a week, maybe once a month to just think about that and read a paper about it, read an article, ask a question, ask somebody who you think might know more than you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it would be really cool to have, um, I mean, I have no idea how much interest there is in our church for um, some of these topics. I think there is interest. I think there should be. <laughs> well, so there should be, I agree. Um, but I think there is, uh, you know, I mean, well, I have lots of interests as evidenced by this podcast. Um, and this is, this is an area that I am interested in, uh, for lots of reasons, which is why we're having this conversation. Um, yeah. right. So I think the church should care, but I actually also think there's a lot of people in the church who do care. I mean, you I know, like our church has a farm, you know, and mm-hmm. that farm is, uh, it, it certainly is birthed out of a desire to love our human neighbors well, but it's also really, you know, like Matt, the person who, ha, who runs it and, and he and his wife are responsible for starting it. Like they, they care quite a bit about the way human beings relate to the natural world. And I think for Matt in particular, a lot of that has centered on our relationship to food and food systems and the source of our food. Um, but definitely within that broader, you know, the broader context of like, how should we relate to the natural world? Um, and that's, you know, there's a ton of folks in our church who, who are connected to the farm through the church or who have even actually connected to the church because they started, they got connected to the farm. You know, that was, that was what you said. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so I, I think, yeah, it'd be, it'd be super cool to see. I don't know if it would make sense to have like a small group focused on this or it, but you know, like a book study or that would be really yeah. Cool. So, yeah. so if you're listening to this mm-hmm. and you're interested in a book study, reach out to me or to Leanne and, um, Leanne has at least offered to help resource it. If not, uh, I, I don't want to volunteer you as the, the group's leader just yet. I'll let you, okay. yourself, but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's super cool. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so what, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't looked at our questions at all. I know you did. Is there, are there other questions that we should tackle? Cause we're at like, you know, we're like 55 minutes and we got maybe 10 more minutes ish. Sure. Unless um, we get really crazy. We have like a two hour podcast. Oh yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Talking about plants. Talking. Yeah. So we got to get back to roots. If, if we're going to keep get Leanne engaged for another roots. hour, <laughs> we have to talk about root length and leaf Rhizomes. size. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No sciencey words. That's they scare me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm just joking. No, I I like sciencey words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. Um, so what what are the? Is there any question on this list that you really wanted to ask? Because I think I kind of answered what I really wanted to answer. Yeah. So there's a there's maybe like two. Well, so I'll, I think I we might be able to get both of these. So yeah. I my I I even said this earlier that like my primary lens into a relationship with a natural world. Um, for, for the first half of my life would have been through experiencing the beauty of kind of like, uh, you know, like experiencing the natural world outside of human development. Um, so I grew up out West, grew up around like real mountains, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) mountains with tree lines that that's kind of in my head. That's the definition of a mountain is it has a tree line. Mm. Sorry to everybody who lives in New York state. Uh, (laughs) I know there's some mountains with tree lines here, but not many. Um, yeah, so that and I mean, the the sunsets that particularly when I lived in Wyoming, um, I actually just shared this story with somebody recently, but on all, not every day, but almost daily, there would be sunsets there that, that have, that never happened in New York state. Like you just never get a sunset like you would get four or five days a week in Wyoming to the point where this is a true story. I was driving home uh, to when I lived, I one of the apartments I lived in was just outside of town. So it was like, whatever, five minute drive from the college and I'm driving out of town on this road and I turn the corner and I look and it's again, Wyoming. So there's nothing there. It's just prairie, right? Flat. Um, and I see the sky and I pull over and I start weeping at how beautiful it is. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, I can't Mm -hmm. believe I get to see this, you know? And, um, anyway, so that's like a snapshot of kind of like my, like the first Mm. 20 years of like what nature meant to me is like running through dry Creek beds with my brother and like chasing cows and pulling prickers out of my socks Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like that was, and definitely that's changed over the years. Like as I've, you know, thought more about our relationship to the natural world, but that to me, like there's something there that captures that sense of like, okay, this is, I don't know, like God is in that, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And mm-hmm. like my identity is built in some way around that too. You know, like there's, I don't know, there's just something like deep and meaningful about that. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've learned to connect things like, oh yeah, like how I relate to my clothes or to my food or to my house or like, those are also a part of that too. But that kind of fundamental, like, awe-inspiring awe-inspiring experience of nature is at the heart of it for me so i'm curious like what 
So you're t- you started off with some similar kind, but it was like root length and, and leaf <laughs> size. So like talk yeah. about some of those like awe inspiring experiences for you um, where it's like transcendent. I think that's the word I, I, mm. would, I would use. Like mm. where, where do you have like experiences of transcendence in as an ecologist? Yeah, I think I have them often and in, in a variety of ways. Mm. I think that there are moments like that when I'm out in the field collecting <laughs> samples of leaf area. <laughs> um, but you're you're in a forest and look up and the sun is filtering through the trees. And I think every stained glass artist out there was just trying to capture a piece of what this is. Right. And... And, and so there, there's this beauty as transcendence yeah. that I think, I think it, like I definitely feel often, especially when I'm out in nature. Sometimes it's like, so this morning I was watering our garden <laughs> and we have um, all these Romano beans growing up on uh, the side of our What fence. are Romano beans? It's, it's like a type of pole bean, but they're like really thick and kind of gotcha. fat. Um, and I was, was watering the garden and then I went to pick one and it was actually a praying mantis. <laughs> <laughs> and so this like startling and then you're like, oh, wow. This is That's like, amazing. Yeah. Oh. It was like, and so just like seeing like, there's a praying mantis in my backyard that like I've never had that until I moved to Buffalo. I don't know mm. if it's a Buffalo thing or just like this year, the past two years in particular, but like those moments of like, oh, wow, there's like a being there. <laughs> like like a creature that like yeah I don't know the, it's startling but also sorry these, brother <laughs> yeah you like stop and look and it's it's got this beautiful stripe of of green and it looks uh. like it's wearing like this really fancy waistcoat and uh. it's just like yeah those those kind of moments but I, I also have those moments when I'm I'm learning like understanding a new connection and I, I like keep coming back to that connection and relationship but I think that's like mm. one of the things that really hooks me about ecology and about the natural world is how interconnected everything is. Um, and so things like the realization I had several years ago, um, when we talk about, um, like biodiversity Mm. and endangerment, Mm -hmm. I think often people think about individual organisms and I, I did too. And then kind of having this realization of like, Oh wait, it's also the diversity of relationships. And so like, there's this book that I read called cultures of habitat and I cannot remember the individual species and I feel like a bad scientist because of it, but I won't judge you. Thank you. I appreciate that. They were talking about trying to conserve a particular flower that was native to Arizona. Okay. And then realizing that they couldn't, unless they also conserved the pollinator, the specific Mm -hmm. type of bee that was like the only one that was pollinating this flower and kind of like realizing what resources that bee needed and how much space it needed. And it, incredibly complicated but also yes. like beautiful to realize oh wait it's not just this one thing it's everything that it's connected to yeah and i think that's cool that, yeah yeah that for me definitely every time i kind of have that realization or a flower actually, is not just a flower no no mm. or this morning um i was reading a paper uh, a summary actually of a paper that just came out that was looking at um Grizzly bears in British Columbia. I think it was grizzly bears. <laughs> and it was looking at genetic differentiation in the population on in coastal British Columbia and realizing that there was kind of like three major groups that like you could differentiate the DNA, the same species, but it's kind of like grouped itself into three separate populations. And they realized that it maps onto indigenous language families. Wait, 
Okay, start over again. Say that again. (laughs) So the grizzly bear population, when they did like a genetic, they they actually set out like these piles of leaves and brush and covered it in fish gunk. And the bears were like, ooh, we like that. (laughs) They put a little bit of barbed wire just to catch some hair that they could do genetic testing on. Okay. And then they looked at um, specific genes that like, tend to change quicker in populations to see like how are these populations drifting apart from each other. Okay. And there's three populations. Yep. And same those, species, three populations. Yeah. Right. That mapped onto the three major indigenous language families in that region. Languages. Language families being like language types. So like if you looked at like, okay, this is the group that's speaking this language and this is the group that's speaking like this dialect or this other language. Human languages. Human languages. Yeah. All right. What the heck does that mean? Right. So I so like, that, yeah, like, like looking at the relationship that like is clearly shown between bears and the people and the people there were like, obviously, <laughs> yeah, we knew that. But, but um, just realizing like the resources and the space that this the bears are taking up really reflect like where the people are living and the resources that they need. And they're sharing the space. Huh. Yeah. That's fascinating. So, like those kind of connections that just kind of, yeah, you do that. You like sit there and you go, Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. That's super cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know what to do with that. I, I mean, you I just wonder, I don't have to cause yeah. it's your job, but like <laughs> that's seriously fascinating. Yeah. 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 I mean, I could definitely geek out on a couple of Wikipedia articles about that. Please do. Yeah. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that those moments of like being really excited about the world. Well, so that, I mean, I know usually we stop around an hour ish and that's where we're at, but I'm going to ask another question that's tied in with all this that we, we, we thought we might talk about a little bit. Um, but that is, so you've talked about curiosity and humility quite a bit. Uh, you even mentioned study as one of the things that the church had given you or at least helped to give you or encouraged science science gave me that that helped me to apply it to the church okay gotcha Mm -hmm. well so but but you pointed that as as something that the church actually could encourage that anyway yeah right Mm -hmm. so all of those different things and then even like this idea of transcendence and um you know (laughs) the story about bears and human languages um it speaks to um just a valuing of the life of the mind Mm. that again, you and I talked about when we were talking about, well, what were we talking about on a podcast? And that was one of the things. And so like clearly you love ideas and uh, an important part of who you are and um, what you do resides in the non-physical space in your, inside your head. Right. (laughs) So yeah, talk about what that's like for you and um, yeah. What do you, what do you love about ideas? Um, the world of ideas. Yeah. It's, it's tough because there's just a delight that I find in them and making (laughs) connections to other ideas and bringing things together. Um, why, what is that? I don't know. Why, why? Yeah. So delight is exactly the right word, but why? And, um, I, part of what I've like come to understand about it is, um, Mm. so several years ago, uh, pastor of my church in, in Waterloo, Mm. um, had a sermon about like the antenna that you use to yeah. connect to God. You were talking about this. Keep yeah. Talking. And I really do think that one of them was the mind. And I really do think that is, that is it for me is when I like understand like the dual meanings of a word or, <laughs> or I read a new paper that, that reveals something about how like how bears relate to human languages. Yeah. How complicated and like overlapping <laughs> incredible the world is like, yeah. it, 
it makes me feel more me and simultaneously like how is the world this incredible mm. and and it is a, a connection to to god and and i, I feel a, a calling to do that in the church in the world mm. to like yeah and so i think that that's a huge part and i also think that for me ideas aren't just in the realm of the mind they, an idea can influence the way that I act and the yes. way that I interact with other people and the way that I understand the world. So, no, completely. Yeah, I yeah, didn't, I, I didn't mean to imply that they stay No, there. no, no. Yeah. But, but I think that that's, that's part of it for me. That's why it's interesting for mm. me. And that's why I find it so delightful is it's not just an, an idea in my mind. It's, this is, it, it's revealing a piece of how I fit into the world and possibly even shifting how I think that I should fit into the world. And it can connect in so many different ways. And one idea about something like plant ecology can actually start to apply to the way that like I view the community and my neighbor and like opinions that I had about people and things like that. Do you have an example? That would be cool. Yeah. Um, So, uh, so right about now, uh, there is a plant called goldenrod. It's actually starting to bloom in our backyard. Um, it's blooming about this time of year. Beautiful yellow flowers all across the countryside. Love it. Often, and for most of my life, like people will blame, and I used to blame them for hay fever, for allergies this time okay. of year. And I recently realized that goldenrod is not actually the cause of allergies, it is not wind-pollinated. Wind-pollinated plants are often the ones that are the cause of allergies because their pollen is so small that it can be picked up and travel far distances to pollinate another plant. Okay. It's actually ragweed, which is blooming at the same time. Okay. As, and they're actually like in the same general family. Um, but ragweed is green, as most wind-pollinated plants are because they don't have to be colorful to attract pollinators. And so because it's green, it's not quite as like big and showy as the goldenrod is. It's not actually, like it's not noticed the goldenrod is. And so people point at it and blame it for their problems. But goldenrod is actually um, a mild uh, antihistamine. It like helps with (laughs) swelling and it's actually really helpful for allergies. Interesting. So this thing that you like think your whole life is the cause of something. If you dig deeper, you ask a question, you realize like, oh, actually it's like, it could be the solution <laughs> or, <laughs> okay. or, or it's, it's different than you thought it was. Yeah. And so I think just that is like, that's a reminder I go to very often. If I'm like annoyed at something or I'm frustrated with something like, is this actually the cause mm-hmm. of what I think the problem is? And so I think that is, like I said, an example I go back to often yes. of that, that kind of idea that I, try to apply it to many things. Yeah. So when you notice that person and you tend to think like they're goldenrod, they're the cause of all my problems. Yeah. Maybe they're not. I might be the ragweed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Well, so, so the life of the mind or the, the world of ideas, how, how does that, and well, so you already, you already answered the question of like how that kind of connects to your faith. Just mm-hmm. that idea of like having different kinds of antennas. And I mean, I think all of us have a mind that is an antenna that connects us to God, but probably that's m- more important for some people than others because we're all wired different ways. Mm-hmm. How do you see in your, in your experience, how has the church helped you to value the life of the mind? I mean, you talk specifically about something you heard from your pastor 
Um, but what are some of the things the church has taught you or maybe not even taught you, but just like the ways the church has kind of been, you know, a part of your life. How has that helped you to value the world of ideas? Yeah, I think, yeah, just like talking about it in church and putting like a distinct value on it in that case. Um, I grew up in the Christian Reformed Church, which has a real focus on like theology and schooling Mm. and understanding and learning. And so I think just growing up in a church that valued that and it didn't have to be like you go to school separately and then you're at church and you're not thinking about things was very helpful. It gave me like a lot of encouragement and and tool sets to ask critical questions and learn and be curious and not feel like that had to be separate from my faith. And I think reading um, books on theology and on building the kingdom of God that recognize that it's not just quote church stuff that is that, but it can be something as simple as reading a book or pulling up weeds in your garden that, that is doing that. and can be a form of worship if you allow it to be, or if you focus and like teach yourself to let it be. Um, So I think that that is a way that the church has kind of equipped me to do that. And I, I come from a family that loves to ask questions and debate things and think really big thoughts yeah. <laughs> all the time. And so I think That's cool. like having a, a very, very strong faith, but also strong mind yeah. in, in many people in my, in my family has really shaped that in me for sure. All right. Last question. Yeah. Well, at least I think it's the last question. So For you've now. used the word, I know mm. <laughs> we'll ask, we'll do this again. <laughs> yeah, so, so you and I both actually have used the word curiosity quite a bit mm-hmm. over the last hour. What, what can and should, or even what is our church doing to foster curiosity in people in our community? Yeah. I actually do think that you would be able to answer this question better. Cause I think you're more in, integrated into this church and understanding that, um, like what, can well, I, I want to hear your answer. My, so, my so answer? maybe yeah. you can't say what we are doing as well as I can, but what yeah. should we be doing? Um, I think things like you mentioned the book club that's mm. happening podcasts like this that are bringing up new ideas to people like, Oh, I, I never really thought about that. Or I never thought about how that can be a part of the church is huge. Mm. I think in introducing those ideas and introducing them in a way that it's okay to ask questions and realize, Oh, maybe I don't know the answer or, oh, that's really cool. There's a person in our church who does this or <laughs> thinks about this yeah. is is huge. It's, I think that's really important. I think one thing that I, I don't know how to foster this well, but I think is really important is is curiosity, but also humility and like, it's okay if you don't know the answer yeah. and it's okay if you don't agree with people as long as you don't like run away from that. Yeah. And, and, just like a, a vulnerability in sharing ideas and opinions. If like, I think that should be the safest place to do that should be a church, like recognizing you have differences and, yeah. and kind of leaning into that and, and getting excited about different things and sharing those ideas with people. Yeah. I think that that is really important. And that's something that the, the humility of, of recognizing that you, you don't have all the answers is something that, that, study in, in science has definitely taught me. Um, and I think that has been very valuable in my relationships with people. I, um, I just, 
uh, had a paper accepted. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it was quite a process because the peer review process involves like <laughs> lots of peers and let's lots of reviews. send you back like oh, like a hundred questions and you have to respond to each one and they're like, this wasn't good. This wasn't good. Why did you do this? And it's actually a really good thing yeah. because without the responses from experts who are like way, way ahead of me in their field and who know so much more than me, I couldn't become better. Yeah. And so I, you have to take those criticisms and learn from them, change what you're doing and then send it back. And then you get another round of criticisms and mm-hmm. keep working with that. And that's actually like, it's encouraged. It, I got, I got the, I, the first time I submitted it, I got rejected and my advisor forwarded the email and she's like, this is actually really great. <laughs> I was like, um, okay, but she was right. And so I think that, mm-hmm. that it, it's not even a toughness of like, oh, you got criticized, but it's fine. It's like, like a, an acceptance. You like absorb that. And, and that's, it's a skill that's taken me a long time to learn, but I do think it's very valuable. And I, I'm not quite sure how to encourage that in other people in like a structural way, but I really think it's important. So man, you just said like several things that, um, I'd love to talk more about, but I think, I think this is a good place to stop. Yeah. So we're, that's an hour and 15 minutes. This is, this right. is our longest podcast yes. so far. Right. <laughs> well, thank you very much for thank doing you. this. Yeah, yeah. This was a ton of fun. And I'd love to do this again, either to great. talk more about ecology and the natural world, but also, you know, you just talked, maybe the word would be resilience, right? Mm, like you yeah. talked about that. And also as much as we talked about ecology, we really were more focusing in on like our relationship to nature as opposed to like kind of like science and questions around yeah. the scientific yeah. process or the scientific community. So I'd love to talk about those things too. That'd be great. I, lo- I love talking about them. So All right. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Two forty two is a podcast of Buffalo Vineyard Church in Buffalo, New York. Learn more about who we are and get in touch with us at buffalovineyard.org. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating. Thank you for listening.